This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast today has made a name with uh, his killer Vienna lagers and amazing West Coast IPAs, Mike Hunsaker, uh, head brewer and co-founder of Grains of Wrath. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to uh, picking your brain about brewing some of these beers. Obviously, uh, if anyone who reads Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine saw our IPA issue earlier this year, noticed that uh, Grains of Wrath crushed it straight out with a uh, 99 uh, you know, on that uh, West Coast IPA style. Um, so I lo- want to definitely talk about this evolution of West Coast IPA and uh, you know how you put some fine points on it to make uh, you know ex- examples of this style that are so interesting and compelling to drinkers today. Before we do that, nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with G&D Chillers. Innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel G&D ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Breweries you recognize like Russian River, Ninkasi, Jack's Abbey, Samuel Adams, and more trust G&D to chill the beer you love. Call G&D Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, haze for days in your IPAs. Carry Biohaze from BSG adds that perfect, stable, cloudy appearance for your hazy recipe. Made with all natural materials, Biohaze is a free-flowing microgranular powder that binds with protein molecules in beer that form polyphenol protein complexes to produce a cloudy haze. This unique product can be added to final beer to give your beer that famous haze. Find out more about Biohaze at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. So Mike, um, talk to me a little bit uh, about your background in brewing. Now you've you know moved from the East Coast through the Midwest out to Portland, worked for a few breweries along the way. Um, you know, and been honing your brewing chops, uh, you know, at every turn, uh, walk me through, you know, that kind of arc of brewing that got you to where you are today, having uh, co-founded grains of wrath and now making the styles of beer that you do. Uh, sure. Um, been brewing now for 10 years professionally. Um, and then, you know, obviously the usual, uh, eight years before that at home, um, uh, really originally from Chicago, born and raised there for the most part. Um, and, uh, during the, uh, the, the 08, kind of the, the big crash, um, no job. So uh, my parents happened to be living in Virginia Beach, and there happened to be some jobs down there. So I uh, cut bait and went down there to, to try to reboot. And, um, well, you know, I was there for about uh, not even a month. Um, I walked into uh, a brewery that had been open for just a few weeks um, and uh, kind of worked my way into uh, a brewing gig there. Uh, the, the owner wasn't all that, um, uh, all that great at brewing. You know, he, he wanted to, he had a kind of a vision on where he wanted to go, but didn't really have much of the knowledge, uh, as neither did I, to be honest with you, but, uh, just kind of grabbed the chance while I had it. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, and I was there for about a year and a half at, uh, what was called beach brewing back then. It's got a different name now. Um, and then the other uh, brewer and I uh, departed there um, after uh, 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 some time. And uh, I had met Matt Cole, who is uh, one of the founders and a master brewer of Fatheads in Cleveland, uh, when I was at the Great Taste Midwest about two years beforehand. And we had kind of kept in uh, contact, you know, just texting back and forth once in a while. And um, I... Uh, at that time when I left, I did not, I needed to work for a brewery that was world-class and, um, I wanted to learn a lot more than what I could have done on my own. So, um, I called up Matt and, uh, he was, um, uh, kind of shocked that I called. Um, I said, told him I wanted to work for him. Uh, I kept remembering him saying for the first couple of times, you want to move to Cleveland? I'm like, yeah, I, I went out of Virginia Beach. It was not kind of my style of area, but and it was a super fledgling like craft beer scene back then. So uh, this is like 2012, and um, 
he's like, I've got nothing but um, a bottling gig on a Mahin. And, uh, you know, and then he said, you're going to walk off the brew house and come here. And I said, yeah, I want to, uh, you know, I'll earn my way in. So uh, he, uh, you know, once again asked me if I really meant about moving to Cleveland. So uh, it's like a small Chicago, actually. I love Cleveland. Uh, and he had told me that uh, he'd, I'd have to meet his um, production manager, Chris Altmont. And uh, on my way up, um, I got a phone call from uh, a longtime brewer in that in the uh, Chesapeake Bay area, uh, Alan Young, who was running Gordon Beerish at the time, uh, and said, "Hey, I heard you're driving to Cleveland." I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, who are you meeting with?" I said, uh, "Chris Altmont. He's the production manager there." He's like, "Yeah, I hired Chris Altmont years ago for Gordon Beerish," <laughs> and I was like, oh, "There's my in," you know. So uh, I drove the nine hours up there. And Chris was super cool. He's uh he was busy and he said, Yeah, just have a seat, I'll be right with you. And uh I happened to throw uh you know, I said, I heard we have a mutual friend. And, uh yeah, and he goes, Who? Like, Alan Young. He just stopped, closed his computer, and he's like, How do you know Alan Young? And I was like, Well, you know, I was working at this brewery here, but Alan would also uh teach me a lot on the side, you know, I just kept wanting to get better at what we were doing. And uh he's like, Alan Young let you let you work on his equipment. I said, yeah, yeah but you let me. Said, You're hired. Chris, <laughs> come on. I just drove nine hours. I don't think that could, we could have solved that early on. But uh, no, he was cool. And he, you know, uh, he offered me the job with uh, the promise that, you know, uh, I had done some homework and, you know, they were, they had some fermenters on, on order. Uh, their production facility had only been open for three, four months. Right. And so, um, uh, but they were true to their word because uh, I, you know, I told them, I said, I know you got fermenters on, on order. I said, you know, when those come in, I said, you know, if you, you know, promise to, to bring me into the brewery and onto the, you know, the cellar and on the deck. And they're like, yeah, no problem. I said, I'll work, you know, I'll work hard for you on that, on that bottling line. So we did. And uh, four months later, yeah, I was, they, they kept their word and put me in there. So uh, that was a, uh, that was a big part, you know big yeah. jump in my career. I wanted to work for those guys. Yeah. I, you know, we, we have a mutual friend, uh, my friend Paul here in Fort Collins, apparently, uh, worked with you at, uh, at that old brewery beach brewery yeah. or volunteered with you out in Virginia beach. And, uh, he was recounting a story to me. It's like, you know, Mike was the guy that came in with his notebook full of recipes, you know, and if there was a beer that we wanted to try, you know, we were thinking that we needed a new beer to make, it was Mike's recipe book that the beers came from, you know, and he's like, you know, of all the people I know, like Mike was the guy that was focused on w how to make the beers and what beers that he wanted to make. And, uh, I thought it was an interesting kind of insight to see that, uh, it's something that you've been highly focused on, but even though that has been your focus, you know, you're not afraid, you weren't afraid to work down from there or work up from the bottom and, uh, and find yeah. your way in. Well, you know, if you want it, you got, you know, can't imagine they're just going to walk in and take someone else's spot. You got to earn it. So, yeah. um, yeah, I was, um, so yeah, uh, back to Paul, you know, um, uh, yeah, he volunteered there for a little bit and then, um, he moved over to another brewery, uh, there in, in town, uh, smart mouth, I believe. Okay. And, uh, who had just opened up. And, yep. uh, um, so yeah, it was one of those that, you know, I knew that this is the place that I wanted to go. Um, I had their beers before, um, you know, they weren't fatheads, right? Fatheads, yeah. in Cleveland yeah. and, um, Matt, you know, was one of the, one of the best brewers in the country. Um, you know, as, as, you know, his beers and obviously the awards show, um, and makes a wide variety, not just IPA. It's been, you know, and I wanted to learn from someone who can do, you know, be, you know, multiple styles and do them in, in, you know, in such a high, high quality manner. Uh, sure. so, um, yeah, so basically I kind of just clawed my way in there and, and started working And uh, about a year and a half in, um, they had decided to partner up with some folks out in Portland and open a brew pub. So, um, I know he had, uh, offered the job to an old friend of his at first, but uh, he was not, uh, um, not wanting to leave the San Francisco area, uh, Arnie at Marin. And, uh, so... I, uh, which by the way, every time I see Arnie, I thank him for passing. Um, I do. I, I, uh, sure, sure. Uh, so he, uh, you know, so 
and he was kind of just you know and on the at the pub on the brew house one day and he's just kind of up there and he's kind of you know i can see him like what's wrong and he's like i don't know what to do about this brewer thing out in portland and i was like well what do you mean he goes well my you know my buddy's not going to take it and he goes i don't know what to do and he's like you just got here like a year and a half ago and i was like yeah so i said i've moved you know a third of the way across the country what's two thirds more you know and um he's kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit and he's like and i i the way i sold it to him was i said hey you know, i get it you can you can find brewers out there but who knows what fathead's beer tastes like more than one of your own brewers and you know and what you expect and what our our processes are and and someone that you can trust out there you know this is 2200 miles away and uh oh so we had some beers and he he said yeah you know that's a probably a really good idea let's 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 do that so um the partners uh uh flew out partners from here uh flew out to meet me in cleveland and i had you know proceeded to have the worst interview of my entire life oh, yeah. uh, it was one of those that you know you want it so bad and like, you're just crushing right. it yeah and not in a good way crushing it and so uh they were kind of looking at each other like this is the guy you want you know and um so they went on to interview a few other people and but luckily for me matt stood up and said hey just that was an interview you interviewed him after a 12-hour day on a bench table you know out back after he just got off shift and uh they said fly him to portland by mistake you know a couple of whiskeys and talk to him and uh, i was lucky enough that they they did that and uh offered me the job for portland so um you know it's been the the greatest move of my career um I, you know, what other, what better place to prove yourself than Portland and, and the West coast, you know, for sure, for sure. So, yeah. uh, now, of, you know, going right into the, the heart of it in, in, uh, such a strong beer city with, you know, so much tradition around brewing and so many high quality brewers, it's, uh, it's quite a place to try to prove yourself. Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of daunting, but at, at the same time, you know, you got to kind of trust, trust what you're doing. Um, and sure. so, uh, when we got there, uh, all the brewers were amazingly friendly and welcoming. Um, a lot of the press, not so much. Um, oh, oh well, you know, and, and even the, <laughs> even the locals, I mean, I get it now, now that I've been here for sure, six years, sure. I get it. Um, they're very protective of their own. And, sure. um, you know, what, you know, I remember one of the writers said, what does Ohio know about beer? Uh, it was said we were colonizing, we were a chain. I'm like, this is the second brew pub. It's more like a link. You know, um, and so, it, you know, it, I, it was one of those, well, it was up to you to prove them wrong. Yeah. Right? You know what? You take that chip and you put it on your shoulder and you get to work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I told my guys, um, I had brought Owen lamb, uh, with me out there, um, who I worked with at fatheads and he's actually with me now at grains of wrath as well. Um, and, uh, it's one of those that uh, I told everybody to keep your mouth shut. No matter what they say, keep your mouth shut, do what we do. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. And, uh, yeah, shortly after that, it was it was. Um, I'll, I'll give it to a lot of the writers. They they actually kind of said, "Hey, you know, welcome to Portland. This is yeah. You, know, you guys you guys belong here." <laughs> they begrudgingly. Oh, it was very much you. so. You know how many times I heard from also customers, "We wanted to hate you," and uh, but the, my my next my next thing, my next uh, thing I would say is, "But," and they're like, "Everything's great. Like you know, we we like it. I'm yeah, like, that's all I wanted to hear. Yeah. you know, that's there's no there's no grudges. I get it." You know, especially now I get it. Um, they were not trying to have it at first, you know, and plus the logo right, and all that right. wasn't exactly Portland friendly. Sure. Um, sure. Very Midwest. So, um, but yeah, it was, I think it was all, it was forgiven. I mean, within the first, and then, you know, they respect a lot out here, you know, coming up big in awards because they like to be proud of their breweries out here. So, sure. Uh, sure. First beer I ever entered in the GABF, won a gold medal in, in the Rye with, I run with a Rye Maybach. And from then on, it just snowballed. And so I was very lucky yeah. and people were very, very cool. We worked very hard to be, you know, part of the fabric of, of Portland. Yeah. For yeah. sure. For sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about Grains of Wrath then and, uh, and then get into talking about IPAs. But uh, before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of the highest quality organic herbs, spices, and teas. Whether you want to add depth to your next golden triple with classic notes of cinnamon, pepper, and clove, or artfully layer exotic, zesty grains of paradise into a perfect ale, adding botanicals to your brewing is an easy way to customize a delicious flavor profile. 
Mountain Rose Herbs has been providing organic herbs and spices to chefs, herbalists, and dedicated brewers for more than three decades. Learn more at mountainroseherbs.com and get 10% off your first order with the code CRAFTBEER10. That's craft beer and the number 10. Also, Yakima Valley Hops is your hop source, whether you're brewing five gallons or five barrels. Get all the hops you want when you want them. They source the highest quality hops from the Yakima Valley and premium growing regions around the world so that you have access to the largest hop portfolio possible. Even the hard-to-find varieties like Citra, Nelson, Sauvin, and Galaxy. Homebrewers, visit YakimaValleyHops.com and wholesale accounts. Find them at SpotHops.com. So talk to me about the, the formation of Grains of Wrath, and then uh, then let's uh, dive into some uh, some IPA sure. talk because uh, life is short, and we've got to yeah, get right. down to uh... – <laughs> Well, um, I had lived uh, across the river in Washington. So those who don't know, Portland and Washington share a border with the Columbia River. And so I lived in, in Washington. Uh, it was at that time a little cheaper to live over there, being that I have two St. Bernards. And um, it was cheaper to live. So I would, I would make that drive every day. Uh, but um, there was a beer bar down the street called Caps and Paps that my now partner, Brendan Greenan, uh, owned. And so that was kind of my my little bar, my little craft beer bar. Um, been there for a while, became friends. And we always kind of we started toying with the idea, you know, what about? you know, this area could really use something, you know, and, and what, you know, what guy doesn't really dream of, you know, you know, having his own spot. So, um, you know, uh, so we kind of kept talking about it and it was, um, we had, uh, brought the idea to, um, two of the, uh, two business owners down the street, uh, uh, Sean Parker and Brendan Ford, um, and said, Hey, you know, how about, you know, can we get some startup money you know, get in on this early, um, and they actually kind of just said, Hey, why don't we just partner up and just do the whole thing? And so we were off to the races at that point. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, you know, I, I was heavily influenced being from Chicago, heavily influenced by the, the, the crew over at, uh, at three Floyds and, you know, they're friends to this day. And, uh, so that kind of edge, you know, that kind of, you know, just the, the, just that attitude, you know, make great beer and whatever else, you know let it fall where it may so sure um so make it cool make people you know it doesn't need to be this one thing for everybody but uh you want to the people who get it to really love for sure i mean you know um my biggest thing is you know and 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 you know we're very lucky that our customers you know are very supportive of of our brand and but at the same time you you want to make beers also of the quality that your peers respect you and you know you know i want to be you know my kind of idea of of that kind of success in this area, especially in this area is, you know, if someone's coming to Portland and you can name four breweries, I want to be on that list. Um, you know, we're brewers, we tell other people to go, uh, you know, and it's, that's, that's what drives us to, to make that kind of beer. And so when we, um, when we opened this spot, you know, uh, we got a, this beautiful JV Northwest system. Uh, they're now gone now. There's something else, but, uh, um, beautiful system. It's a 10 barrel, three vessel steam system with, uh, 10, 20 barrel fermenters wanted to be able to do, uh, we got the three vessel just so we can be able to do raises and, and, you know, do, you know, pseudo decoction and, and that sort of thing for, yeah. for classic styles as well as IPA. And then, uh, yeah, just, just, you know, got to run it after about a year, took a little bit over a year to get the, uh, you know, to get her open, but it's well worth it. So let's talk about formulating a beer plan. I love that, uh, you know, while obviously uh, IPAs are a staple for you, you know, even under Grains of Wrath, you know, you've won medals like back-to-back in the Vienna Lager category and, uh, you know, also, you know, have a deep love of those classic styles. But, uh, you know, so as you're conceiving of this idea, you know, of a plan for beer for Grains of Wrath, um, you know, talk to me about that kind of vision process. You know, it's, I think you have to be obviously financially responsible as well as want to be true to yourself. Um, right. Uh, so IPA is, A, something I, I, I kind of built my reputation on, as you know, uh, first and foremost. Yeah, Fat Heads makes a few of those. Yeah, they make a few of those. Yeah. 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 And I, so I was very lucky to, to be able to see the, the recipe formulation, uh, process, the thoughts, you know, behind certain, uh, uh, malts, you know, maltsters, everything, how you really just, you know, completely construct a beer from those guys. And then, uh, kind of took that and then kind of made my own version of that. Um, 
mine is much more uh as far as ipas go so you know you gotta come out of the gate with ipas just you're in portland sure. there is you know everyone's coming around to loggers now in the last couple of years which is great um but when owen and i sat down and said all right what do we what do we see us doing and, and being and um you know ipas pay the bills and everything else but one of the other things we were very very passionate about was make lager um and make some of the best lager we can in this area and uh we really you know really kind of put our nose to the grindstone and and you know water pro between water profiles just quality of ingredients patience you know one thing that you know a lot of places they're looking to make that buck first and i think that's our mentality is it's ready when it's ready um you know we don't get told by sales or distributors what happens you know he and i call the shots on when that happens i mean you know loggers are minimum six weeks you know there's no question um sometimes longer you know if we have time um when it's ready it's ready uh so you know first thing was to kind of start you know you grab the ipa concept first you know and kind of go with what you know what you're solid at um we made good loggers at at fatheads i thought you know i always wanted to you know, I wanted to, you know, step that game up a lot. So that became really important to us. Um, and uh, I think that's, you know, now people are really starting to take notice of, of the lager game as well as the IPA. But um, besides Fatheads, honestly, the, my, my biggest influences um, in IPA were, were more like SoCal IPA. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, huge. Um, Alpine. I, when I was living in, in Virginia Beach, someone shipped me out some Alpine before the Green Flash yeah. debacle. Um, and it was one of those where you poured it and you were just like, Jesus, I mean, you know, Nelson and duet and pure hoppiness and all of that. And, um, pizza port, you know, all those guys like that made this, this beautiful malt, malt backbone, but being super light, make it lean, but still be a, you know, this, this nice platform to hold those hops and make it bitter and, you know, beautiful. And, and, you know, those were the, my biggest influences. Like we're, we're definitely like San Diego, especially San Diego yeah. um, area. Let's, uh, yeah, let's dive into it. Let's talk about that. So, you know, from that kind of basis, how do you, how do you start building as uh you know, delving into the Mike Hunsaker mind of, uh, of brewing, you know, as you're thinking about how to build a base for these hops, um, what does malt look like for you in these in the, your West Coast IPAs? You know, is there a, a difference between them? Obviously, you make a few, you know, a number of different "quote unquote" West Coast style IPAs. Um, do you vary malt bases in those? Are oh you, sure. Are there some specific parameters that you're playing with that you tweak based on uh, other flavors that are working on in those beers? Well, that's kind um, of exactly. Yeah, you just just hit it. I mean, uh, you know, obviously it's it's you know, Pilsner malt forward. Um, okay. but yeah, I think Pilsner not too rough, uh, not too rough. Um, actually, actually okay. I use, um, actually mine, I, I use raw premium pills, uh, which is a two row hybrid really. Um, but it's more of a Pilsner malt. Um, I got turned on to that actually by Tyler Brown at Marley Brown's. So I always okay. thank Tyler for that. Um, but then, you know, you can, you can throw a little two row in just to give it a little more depth in different beers. What the ratios look like depends on the beer and what we're looking for, uh, as far as yeah. starting gravity, finishing gravity, the hops that we're using with it, you know, does this need a little more malt to kind of hold it? You know, are the oils proper for the malt characteristics? Um, and then we'll sprinkle in everything from, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of like fireman products. So, you know, I'll sprinkle in some Munich sure. or some Vienna malt. Um, right. You know, uh, I, I, I went away from what like what the Midwest so, you know, I, I really believe before the whole haze craze on the East, it was, you know, there was very different sections of the country and what kind of malts they used. Uh, East Coast, you know, you think of like dogfish and it's, you know, very now considered more English style, in my opinion. You know, it's an American English style. You know, it's it's heavy right. crystal malt. Uh, you go to the Midwest and like Fatheads and it's got crystal malt. It's not as heavy. They don't use the darker crystals, but it's still a foundation um part of that that malt bill and i and with my influence there's pretty much i think there's one beer that might have like 15 pounds of crystal 15 in it just yeah. for a little color and a little bit of just just oomph. um 
besides that, you know, I, I try to keep those those malts clean, just background, all background. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I'm curious about that. Like, what would be, you know, as you're thinking about the design, what would be a, a feature of the beer that might lead you to blend in some Munich and Vienna malt? And when you're keeping it in the background, what do those percentages typically look like? Um, you know, when you when you start looking at the hot profile uh, of, yeah. of where you're going to go with those, with the oil contents, how, how big are they? Um, you know, beers like, uh, I've got a beer called uh, Overkill, which... Um, at first was Galaxy. I've moved to Vic Secret just because it's a the poor man's Galaxy and actually available. Um, yeah. So, but those you know New uh, New Zealand, uh, Australian, and some of the you know depending on the, the American hops you get, the oil content. You know those big oily hops. I think they need a, something that's not going to just plow over the the base malt. You're gonna have to throw some you know um, dystopia. I don't hide anything. Uh, dystopia uh, or overkill has um you know big secret mosaic citra um and our the, the lots we have are very oily so um we uh you know I, i'll use a, a touch of crystal but i'll use like munich two um yeah. and it's just just nothing big but just enough to set right. a platform for those oils to sit so it's not like you're just literally you know so it's not just like an oil slick coming across um, and just dominates. You got to have some, some semblance of balance to it. Do you have any kind of specific strategies around, uh, uh, you know, where you dial, you know, in order to kind of avoid some of that caramel crystal overkill that uh, defines? Yeah, you got to keep those percentages super low. I mean, I, you know, I almost considered Munich too, a, you know, a caramel malt, but just yeah. without that, just without the oxidative flavor quality that it right. has you know what i mean um kind of papery almost you know if you go high enough like 60 you know I, yeah that i mean that's old school and they used to love it but no um keep keep it low you know you, you yeah. can develop flavor profiles that are going to mimic depth of like of a crystal malt or just you know by using other malts together you know whether it be vienna whether it be munich or munich and vienna um yeah. Uh, I also use um, uh, one called it's called Carablon from, from uh, uh, Castle and uh, or Chateau, and um, it's like an eight level bond crystal malt. Gives a little small sweetness, but keeps the color light and it doesn't right. start blending over into that. So you know, like I said I like keeping everything pretty light on the color, and then the percentages. I mean, you know, no more than fifteen percent. You know maybe yeah. maybe 20 on a, on a certain beer uh you know i've got a beer that has like 20 percent vienna malt and then that's about it and then it goes back to you know i use a little bit of wheat a wheat flake just to you know give it body you know, give yeah it little, again another little platform to think of during the, the malt uh, uh structural process let's talk a little bit about hops um you know now again you make a lot of different ipas because you know, it's uh, especially with a, you know, kind of a brew pub focus, um, you know, you are always and constantly keeping things interesting for people, um, you know, that, that come and drink there with you. So, uh, you know, obviously hops become a very broad subject from there. Uh, are there, you know, some kind of uh, cores that you you know, find yourself coming back to? And then, um, you know, when, once we move through that, I'd love to talk about uh how you've evolved in, um, you know, timing and additions and, uh, late additions and then dry hopping. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, you have the, the Holy Trinity, Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic. I mean, yeah. I don't think you can put that in any beer and make it worse. That's for sure. <laughs> um, right. Jason Peralt, uh, was down brewing with me, um, you know, from Peralt farms and he is right. half Simcoe, half of the Simcoe. He's one developed Mosaic, Citra. And, um, he was drinking dystopia and he's like, what hops are in this? I said, it's the Trinity. And he's like, the Holy Trinity. And he's like, Simcoe, Citra Mosaic. And he kind of sat back and I, I love that guy because he's so humble and sometimes it almost escapes the fact And I looked at him and I said, you don't realize you've kind of developed the American IPA palette with those hops alone. And he, you know, he, was, he kind of thought about it. He's like, wow, you know, never, never looked at it that way. I'm like, well, we do. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we yeah. use a lot of those, um, 
Uh, I'm finally getting my hands on some Strata this year, which has been, you know, one of the new sexies. Um, uh, I, you know, Amarillo is always a big part of my program with, um, uh, we get some really great Amarillo's from Crosby Hop Farm in Oregon here. Right. Make, like the old school Amarillo's are really nice. Um, I kind of use those as a base, but where I've really kind of, um, opened things up more is, uh, New Zealand. Um, you know, everyone loves the, the big oily, you know, dank hops from Australia, but the, the, the dank yet refined fruit flavors and, and compounds you get out of that New Zealand, uh, hop varietal group is just fantastic. Um, you know, and again, being influenced by, uh, you know, Alpine Nelson's a right. big part of my program. Um, uh, one of my favorite hops after that, probably from that group is by far Waimea. Um, mm. I'm a huge fan of that. It's like orange marmalade. Um, yeah. we had gotten, unfortunately with, with CBC, uh, came around, um, uh, Crosby had asked us to be part of, uh, um, they asked if certain brewers to use hops from certain farms that they, they work with. Uh, we got paired with freestyle hop farms in New Zealand. Oh, and, poor you. Oh, guys murder it. They're, you know, they, they've taken the old school kind of mentality of we'll harvest it when we harvest it which is why you can get Nelson that are just incredible and some that are just feet, you know, and, and <laughs> right. they, they really taken the new school approach as to windows and, and when the oils and the, the flavor, you know, the compounds are right. And so that's where Crosby actually works with them. Um, and so we got paired with them and they sent me, they said, we will, we want to showcase like one predominant hop. And I was like, how about why may everyone knows Nelson already. And they were, all about it so they shipped me up some some of the new harvest and it was just incredible and then of course cbc got put on hold and covid oh. hit and the whole thing we were yeah. supposed to actually um two weeks after well two when the shutdown happened two weeks later we were supposed to be going down for harvest yeah and, uh with those folks and that trip obviously got squashed yeah. but yeah. you know but uh i you know i i'm a big um new zealand fan uh Rakao is another big one i like um uh, Motueka is okay. I know people are really into it. I'm, you know, I'm on the fence about it, but, um, right. No, but New Zealand hops but are a cool way to blend with American hops. They just sing. Right. Them. Right. Let's talk a little bit about some of those blends. Are there some favorite combinations that you find? I always, I always love that little insight where, uh, you know, folks talk about the, uh, you know, the specific combinations and some of the elements and the more common hops that help pop some of these other elements or vice versa, you know, from some of those new school and Southern hemisphere hops. Sure. I mean, I, you know what? I think it's kind of look at, at, at basic flavor profiles that you get from each one of these and kind of, I don't know, either see it or you don't kind of idea of, all right, this, you know, these, all right, this big citrus, tangerine, you know, pineapple, this would go really well with like, you know, like that dank grape of like say Nelson or, you know, orange from the Waimea. Are those going to play well together? Yeah, they play well together. But what what's some that's going to tie them in together and not just be just a citrus, you know, fruity citrus bomb? All right. Well, what's you know what what hops do we have right now that are that that pull in that that little bit of dankness that you know whether it be the cattiness of Simcoe or you know you get those mid harvest mosaics that have a little bit of that OG kind of character to it that, in my opinion, in the right amounts, pop fruit flavors and tropical notes. You know, you can have all that dank, you know, really OG kind of thing. But you, sure. you know, though that I think the way I, I construct my beers, that kind of thing is what elevates those those other non-dank, fruity, you know, high tropical, you know, uh, tropical uh, profile hops. Um, and I mean, it's a little bit of a it, it's there's a commonality I think among yeah. I don't want to call it like a common palate, but that bit of dank weediness, that that uh, little bit of diesel, you know, that that you know, cannabis kind of note to it, sure, um, certainly makes those Oregon, I like Oregon in general, um, 
you know, has that flavor to it. And, uh, and I always find it interesting when I go there, like, you know, and it, it's so funny that whether you're talking about West coast IPAs or hazy IPAs or anything else, like it's just the general palate kind of shifts that way. And everyone likes that in their beers. And so, um, I find it to be a beautiful thing because I love regional variety and I love, you know, that kind of specialization. I think this, you know, idea of national and international homogenization of styles is, uh, a negative thing that we should work against and that we should celebrate this kind of, you know, regional oh. uh, tastes and palates and specialties. And I love going to, you know, Oregon and drinking these fresh, danky, weedy, you know, all, but also citrusy, you know, kinds of beers. Um, we were, Joe and I were actually drinking a, uh, an Oregon IPA last night and remarking on that same kind of thing. It is this, um, you know, uh, there's this commonality with certain weed strains, you know, that, uh, you know, new school Very weed strains, so. like these Mandarin varying strains, like where they are pulling in citrus character into the weed. And so even the cannabis world is doing the same thing that the oh, for sure. world is doing, trying to pull in these other, you know, mix these kind of citrus and tank, uh, you know, characters together. Yeah. What are the and flavor it, compounds people are, are used to and really enjoy, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you can do that, that's a, uh, but regionality is very much, a, a, I love it because, you know, the hops, you know, what we're making in Portland area, what they're making in, in San Diego, what um, Pine House and those guys are doing in Austin, what, uh, you know, Joe and those guys are killing it there. Um, uh, uh, Albuquerque, another forgotten Absolutely. IPA capital. Um, then also guys, with, yeah, like La Cumbre and, uh, Bosque and Bosque, some of the, yeah. Bo Boxing Bear and Canteen right. and, and Marble. I mean, those, you know, that's a, that's a sick little spot. For sure. Um, and they all have that kind of, they those beers taste like the Desert Southwest, you know, like there's a, a dusty character to them, you know, uh, whether it's water profile as right. well as the hops that, you know, the combinations they're using they're, It's very, it's very localized. Um, which is why I really enjoy getting beers from outside of this area, you know, um, right. because it, it shows me, you know, cause like, like San Diego has really become way into the super OG weedy, like almost too much for me yeah. on certain beers. Like it was like the last day harvest of mosaic. So it's just kind of like a homeless bum. It's like BO <laughs> and weed, you know, if that makes any sense whatsoever. But, you know, and, and that's borderline for me on some of those because there's yeah. it's like so much. It's like, you know, I wish they had a little more of this, but um, who am I to argue with their success down there? I mean, you know, and the bus for sure. most, most of my friends. So um, let's talk about some some timing on hops before they do. Uh, before we do that, Abe Beverage Equipment is your trusted source for complete brewing and packaging solutions. Whether you're just starting out or looking to expand, Abe offers brew houses from 3 to 60 barrels and canning lines from 15 to 90 cans per minute. Call Abe Beverage Equipment at 402-475-BEER or visit abeequipment.com to learn more. Located in Lincoln, Nebraska, Abe is your trusted source for your brewery equipment. Visit abeequipment.com for complete brewery solutions. And if you enjoy this podcast and want to support our mission to bring you valuable insights from the world's best brewing minds, Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions are the way to do it. Get a year of the print and digital editions of the magazine, plus access to our library of video courses, a special deep dive email, and more. Go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button to join now. So, Mike, as you're using all of these, uh, you know, interesting hops combinations, uh, how over the last uh, decade have, you know, your timings on, you know, hops additions, uh, you know, changed? Have, I imagine things have shifted more towards uh, Whirlpool and late, uh, late hopping, um, you know, but uh, I'd love to hear it in your words how you've kind of, you know, followed uh, the way things have moved to, you know, produce sure. softer approaches to bitterness um, without losing that bitterness. I, I came from a program, you know, uh, that is bitter forward, you know, um, sure. and, and so is like a lot of the SoCal stuff, you know, it's, it, it definitely has that, that not, not abrasive, but nice, sharp bitterness finish. Um, those are the beers I, I'd like to make. Um, so it's really kind of, um, developed a little bit over, over time. I've always taken the approach, um, that Matt Cole taught me, which is, you know, you kind of, you layer them in. Oh, it's not just bookending anymore. You know, it's, you, yeah, you're, you're going to bomb the kettle, make no mistake, but you know, you need to have a little bit of that layered in kind of process. Um, 
I've gone to um, uh, hop extract for bittering. Yeah, um, it is. I love it. it. Besides just giving a little yield, it's very um, consistent, predictable, which is what I want in that first bittering edition. Right. Um, you know, I know I'm going to get that out of that every single time. Um, and then from there, you know, I've, I've always gone with, uh, it, it fluctuates depending on the beer and how much of a water up we do at the end of the brew. Um, uh, you know, whether it be a 30 minute edition or a 20 minute edition, usually I kind of fall within that range, depending again on the size of the beer and the water up additions, um, just to make sure that the bitterness is proper. Uh, and, and by that side, I mean like, you know, the original gravity, um, and then, uh, you know, um, I like to have like a, a five minute edition beforehand, before the whirlpool. Um, it, it turns out to be kind of similar to like almost a 10 minute edition now, because when we, when we start whirlpool, you know, we water up with cold water, to start knocking the temp down. And then, um, I have, uh, this, uh, this inline, um, heat exchanger for my whirlpool. Cause it's a, it's, I don't have a separate whirlpool. Okay. So. Uh, I can whirlpool and knock temp down to 180 before I'm pitching, so it'll it's acts more of a a 10 minute addition in that way because it has that time as it, you know the temperature is dropping to kind of yeah. pull to, uh, some ISO out of it. So and then uh, when at 180 uh, is when we start pitching our, our whirlpool hops now, and yeah. then of course you just you know and you hit that usually it's a, you know the whirlpool is about you know pound and a half two pounds a barrel in a whirlpool yeah you know, pound and a half a barrel. So, yeah, I mean, and uh, all in, probably you're talking three pounds a barrel, two and a half pounds a barrel on the on the hot side. On yeah. the hot side. Let's yeah. talk about dry hopping then. Uh, what's that look like for you? Are you uh, uh, doing an old school style? Well, I shouldn't say old school style, but, uh, you know, dropping yeast before you uh, you dry oh, yeah. hop or you? Yeah, uh, yeah we do. Because uh, I, I want to, you know, I'm harvesting off of that too. Of course, right. So, um you know, once we get to uh, get the terminal, um, we usually will will harvest and drop. Uh, the second day, um, we'll drop and then dry up. So usually we're getting, you know, good 75, 80% of the yeast out of that. You know, you right. can't get anything off the sides, obviously. But, uh, you know, and it's and nowadays with the way that the hops have been, you know, kilned in this, you know, hop creep or whatever, you know, depending on what you want to call it, um, right. you know, that kilning at such low temperatures now to save all the oils is just not denaturing all those enzymes. So you're going to get hop creep, right, you know? Right. And, uh, I remember maybe four or five years ago, um, uh, Jeff Irway and I, Jeff from Lacumbre right. were at CBC and we both kind of stood up at the same time at this hop panel and was we're asking, is anyone noticing like this hot butter? You know, and we, you know, I don't think any of us really knew or kind of believed quite yet it was diacetyl. You know, it was always kind of this weird, right? You know, how could that thing be that was going on? Re-entering the, yeah, yeah, right. And so, you know, now fast forward and all the research that's been done and, and things that brewers talking to each other. You know, my IPAs are not fast. You know, I'm 24 day IPAs. Yeah, um, because we're watching these spikes happen. You know, day day four of dry hop, you know, we'll dry hop. We usually start dropping, uh, you know, do about four days of dry hop. And then, uh, but we're, we're seeing these spikes that happen about day four, day five. And then, and then they start declining and they're usually gone around day eight, you know? So it's, it's definitely elongating the amount of the the brewing process without adding any of these new, these new, you know, there's some new stuff out there you can add that will denature the, the, uh, the precursors for diacetyl, which we're, we're thinking about playing with a little bit. And, um, but, uh, it's, it's that you, now you gotta wait your time. You know, right. you have a choice. You want big oils and flavor or, and, and, you know, have to wait for the creep or do you want to have it go fast? I'd rather have the oils and wait. So now, you know, do you, how do you work that into your overall recipe design, knowing that that's going to happen? Because clearly, I mean, you know, that can, uh, you know, that's going to produce, um, yeah, it's going to attenuate a little bit further than what your intended, uh, you know, final gravity was or terminal gravity. And, uh, you know, and so how, how have you adjusted recipes to kind of accommodate that? You know, you certainly well, you don't know, want I, these to be too dry no, because then you're going to have these crazy bitter beers that are going to feel unsupported. Right. We've actually had to. So, so the big thing every year when the new harvest comes in and you start getting all your new hops is find out who the culprits are. <laughs> 
<laughs> so every year it changes because, right, right, you know, right. all your hops are coming from different farms, different kilning temperatures. So like last year it was um, our Amarillos and our Citrus. Yeah. This year it's my Mosaics and Simcoe. Huh. Um, so I've had to, on the fly, you start having to mash higher. So you have a little bit higher finishing gravity or, uh, you know, terminal gravity before dry hop because we're seeing on some of these beers over a point of, of drop wow. in gravity. So we're having to have these, these things finish at like three. So they don't drop, you know, so they stay so around two. Push it too, right. Right. Just, right. I mean, you know, and it's, it's that kind of fun, really. I mean, it's part of the job. Sure. Our jobs don't suck. <laughs> so really it's, it's honestly, right. if anyone complains, they need to get out. Um, and it's, it's that fun thing you got to find out every year. Like, all right, new harvest is coming in. Let's see where these are dropping. So it, it can take a month or so to, to kind of figure out, okay, it's it's the it's the citrus or it's right. going to be this and this. So And then you make adjustments to that same beer just by even, again, uh, trying to have your, your beers finish either higher or around where they were. You know, so. Um, so I can expect in November or so when the new crop comes out to be drinking extra dry IPAs for about a month until, uh, <laughs> well, well, I, I don't have the pull to get new hops in November. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't get new hops till January. Okay. So okay. you're good. Um, yeah, I'm a little guy still. So, uh, but, um, no, it's, it's nice. You know, we're, it's, it's, a it's always, you know, keeps you on your toes and, and, uh, it's not that, you know, it's really interesting to watch how, how this is all developed sure. and, and how fast. And you just got to build that into your program that you're going to wait this amount of time because it's just not going to. I mean, yeah. IPA is now four or five days later than it ever was in the past few years. So January is um, a good time to make that change, too. I mean, it's, it's generally a light brewing month. Yeah. So, yeah. It is. And you can start getting things out. And people are just, you know, still recovering <laughs> yeah. from all the holidays Dry and January, you doing that yeah you know a half a point here and there you know people yeah, are gonna yeah. forgive for a minute and then until you fix it <laughs> um do you dry hop uh, in a single stage multi-stage yeah is there kind of a t- a, temperature I, angle to how you do it um i leave it at fermentation temp so i'm you okay. know i'm 67 degrees uh when we dry hop um i i'm usually single stage just all at yeah. once um and then we uh set our our uh, co2 to uh about 90 pounds and uh and pop and rouse the hops uh yeah, yeah. four times four days before we before, and then when you taste it and it needs to go longer it goes longer you drop them in from the top or do you pump them in uh purge and pump them in no we've got we go from the top okay. old school you know we just uh put the uh the racking arm at like 25 pounds of co2 coming up so there's nothing really going down yeah and then uh you know, and then we put some head pressure on it after we close up, head pressure on it, and then we slowly bleed it down just in case there's any O2. Um, we've also noticed that, that you know, I think it's now with the creep and the way things go, even if a little O2 gets in, it's going to be forgivable because that right. fermentation is happening again, and it's going to grab a little bit of that O2 and clean it up anyway. Um, you know, we, we haven't had any any noticeable, you know, or anything that has jumped out on us as far as that kind of Right, right. Um, yeah, we don't have big enough fermenters yet to have to have all the fancy <laughs> stuff. Yep. One day. Uh, yeah. How's uh, what's the fermentation look like for you? Are you using standard kind of California ale yeast and uh, you know typical temperatures or? Yeah, I'm I'm BSI. I use BSI there in Cal in uh, Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I use their one um, for for that. You know, and I uh, we start at sixty five. The first, we 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 brew twice into a tank, but we do it back to back days for yeast okay. health and, and development. So, you know, again, we're not, we don't rush. So back-to-back days, um, 65 the first day, 66 the second, and then once the, the, the morning of that, after that second brew, we go to 67, and that's where she stays until she's done. Um, you know, uh, we use for our loggers, we're using Ondex. We use the Ondex strain, which I yeah. love their beers. Um, I know <laughs> I do. I love their beers. So um, I think it was kind of natural. We never used it before. Uh, anywhere else i've never used that until i i moved over and started out grains of wrath so it's been a happy happy transition well you yeah. just provided the perfect segue for uh for me to start talking to you about loggers yeah. um talk to like what is it about this on uh strain of yeast that you love so much and uh you know compared to other lager yeast strains why do you think it produces uh better lagers uh, or at least maybe not better the, the lagers that you feel yeah. you want to make I like it. it. It's super clean. Um, it's consistent. Uh, it, it, you know, ferments fairly low 52. Um, 
though it, it gives super even ferments, um, it's super versatile. I mean, we use it everything from our American Light Lager to our Vienna to our Baltic, yeah. um, the box. You know, we we it it because on decks, if you drink their beers at all, they have a wide variety of styles, and they're all they're all really good. And I yeah. like that it's it's clean, it's neutral, um, it doesn't leave too much on the table, you know, it, it doesn't leave any, any kind of fatty quality to the fermentations. Um, yeah, it's, and it's a workhorse for us. Um, I'm, I think I'm one of the only, there's only two of us in the Portland area that use it, um, that I know of, that I know of. Um, you know, a lot of people are using, um, Augustiner and stuff like that right. because again, workhorse, uh, but just, I wanted to set that a little bit different with the Ondex and it's just, it's beautiful, it's clean, it's, you know, gives you what you want like i said i need i just want the consistency i know where i'm gonna get out of that yeast every time so you know the the history of lager brewing is uh long and uh, well established um you know carving out a territory in that for yourself and being able to win awards and in you know categories of beers that have uh you know been made for so long and uh you know with so many brewers that have honed so many techniques and processes around these is rather interesting and always a you know a kind of um, you know significant one. Um, talk to me a little bit about your design process around your Vienna Lager and how you, you know, envisioned a Vienna Lager. Now, when I say this, I mean Vienna Lager. If you consider you know Sam Adams Boston Lager, it's probably one of the biggest craft beer styles there is. IPA is probably the biggest, but uh, but Vienna Lager is huge, you know, and then, uh, you know, and there's some major players in that space between Sam Adams and devil's backbone and others that are just, uh, making some consistently great and award-winning and, uh, you know, high selling, uh, you know, Vienna, Vienna lagers. Um, you know, but, uh, from your perspective, as you were kind of, you know, starting to conceive of, uh, of how you're going to make something that was both classic and true to tradition, but also had a character that might, yeah, elevate it amongst your consumers as well as, you know, the potential, uh, you know, peers and then, you know, judges because, you know, the sure. competitions you're entering, they are judged by peers. Um, you know, how do you start formulating that idea for a beer? And uh, talk to talk to me a little bit through your mental process. Sure. Um, well, first, uh, being in Virginia, um, Devil's Backbone, that's their backyard. So they're being sure. a logger and uh, Jason Oliver is a friend as well. And so, that was always one of my favorite. I've always loved that style, and and Devil's Backbone always made one that was great. You know, it's you know while I love Americen, it's you know it, it has its time of year for it. You know, but a Vienna, you can drink that all year long. It gives you malt depth. It gives you this beautiful character if if you know if you choose your malts properly. Um, so I had actually called uh, up Jason one time um, when I was just starting to to build this uh, this recipe, and he was like. I like that. I like that. I would change this, you know, without giving me exactly the recipe, um, <laughs> but, but kind of giving me the idea of it. Yeah. Um, and I brewed it kind of that way the first time. And, um, it was good. I thought it was a little heavy, heavier than I wanted it to be. Uh, you know, kind of lean that, you know, going from a Vienna to this, Oktoberfest slash Merits and these styles that kind of bleed into each other in a lot of ways, depending on what region you are in Germany as well. Um, you know, I wanted mine to be more on the lighter side, you know, um, color, but all the flavor you can get into it. So I took, um, um, I never changed the malt out of it. I changed the percentages out of it, um, which really landed a huge part of that. Um, uh, hitting those marks of toasty, little bit of bready but being crisp and drinkable um and uh fireman malts <laughs> i mean you know everyone's got their right. thing and that's 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 one of them I mean, if you look at even like my phone my popper yeah. you know <laughs> my fireman guy so uh i love their malts again and and as with any recipe or anything that you're brewing whether it be a lager or or ipa you know use use quality ingredients your raw materials mean everything um, and just the flavor profiles from those raw ingredients that reflect how you feel about it, you know, how you want this beer to taste. So with, so with Vienna, then I, I tweaked it. Um, I just took, uh, one of the malts and kind of flipped the numbers as far as percentages. And we haven't changed it since. Um, it was, uh, one of those that 
you know, and then you do a lot of homework on style guidelines, you know, and, and we are so lucky here to have some beautiful water that comes right, you know, from Bull Run. Uh, the, the, the aquaphors here are just off the mountains. So they already kind of replicate a lot of what happens in Munich or in, in Bavaria. Um, you know, super soft. You know, you don't have to do almost anything to it. I might add just a touch of, you know, to a Pilsner, I might add just a touch of um, calcium sulfate just to give a little, that little, let the bitterness pop a little bit. But right. other than that, very little to anything. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a combination of everything you can get. But um, I just wanted that soft breadiness and tiny bit of toffee without being too much. Yeah. Uh, on the technique side, are there any things that you've uh, you know discovered over the years of of brewing it that uh, you know, or any tweaks that you've had to make that uh, you found made some marked improvements in your lagers? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I've made I, I realized that a lot of our lagers taste better with a little bit higher terminal gravity. Huh. Um, yeah, Vienna Lager is three. Yeah, which is that three, but it doesn't taste like it's three. That's the main thing. You have those malts, you know, it doesn't have, it's not fat. It's not sweet. It's just, you know, um, that starts at 12, five, it ends at three. Um, you know, uh, each batch we've looked at, you know, that we've sent to JBF has gone from three, one to two, nine. So it's right in that, in that area. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, it's sometimes, uh, when we, we had them drying out a little much and it was just a little, I don't want to say astringent, but it would definitely just take it out of the realm and not let those malts kind of do what they're supposed to be doing, which is just, you know, treating that body and that, that flavor. For um, sure. For sure. Now that's one of, uh, one of Joe's favorite talking points about, uh, American approaches to lager and Americans seeming fixation with the idea of crispy, um, that is not necessarily uh, how you know, Germans and other Europeans brew their lagers. Right. Um, you know, this American fixation on dry and crispy is uh, it's, it's just not exactly uh, you know historically accurate or even currently accurate uh, relative to to how those are done. And, and so many American brewers are afraid of that sweetness and seem to shy away from it. Um, you know, but like you say, that that magic isn't achieving a little bit of it without it appearing that way. Yeah. Um, is that all down to malt selection itself, or is there uh, or is there something else to it? Well, I think it's malt selection. Um, again, water profiles um, play a huge part in that. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. That whole crispy thing of everything having to finish under two or you know closer to one. I mean, that's just insane. It's not taking away of what what you're trying to do, which is build. I mean that. Three doesn't mean sweet. Three just means that it has the body left, right? You know? And and um, to be that style, but you can still make it crisp. I mean, if you have to change it to make it, you know, if it finishes at three and you think that's too fatty, well, is it the malt or is it you not bittering enough to balance it? You know, that's that's another thing that you want to try to find is that you, you can you can leave it heavier so you're getting the malt character you want, but if you add the bitterness properly, you can achieve that that balance without it being fat, without it being you know meaty. Um, you know, and get all the, again, still about all of those, those flavors of the Vienna malt and, and the others that you use in that, uh, in that style, especially. Right. Talk to me a little bit about how you add that bitterness into those beers. You know, are there, uh, you know, regions, origins or varieties of hops that you always lean to? Um, sure. are there any techniques that you're using to kind of, you know, soften that bitterness and make sure that it's there without it uh, kind of overwhelming yeah. and still letting that malt sing? Yeah, I, well, again, German-style beer or Austrian-style beer, you know, right. you know, whatever was bleeding and wherever the, the boundaries were at that time. But, um, yeah, so I still use German hops, German malt. You know, I think those are the baselines of that profile. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but instead of, you know, instead of using like Magnum, which is such a high alpha hop to bitter, I'll, I use Perla. Um, I use like a nine alpha, eight and a half, nine alpha. It gives a beautiful bitterness without ever getting astringent or, or heavy handed. Um, so you don't have to worry about it. You know, you, you can use smaller amounts and get your bitterness without it actually starting to have to use like minute amounts and right. you're not sure where it's going to go. Um, and for Vienna Lager, uh, it's just Perla and, uh, yeah yeah a little bit of floral 
that little floral kick to, to help really kind of accentuate the aromatics and the flavors of, of those malts. Um, it just kind of brings everything in balance. So yeah, I, I don't use anything higher than, than Perla as far as that goes. Um, uh, for our, our, our Hellas lager, which we also sent in this year, um, you know, it's all, um, uh, it's all middle fruit, even bittering. Um, so you're bittering with like a two and a half, three alpha pop. You just yeah. use, use a little more. Yeah. Um, you're not getting so much plant matter. It's fine. Um, but it, again, it, it doesn't allow you to overdo it. Yeah. Um, and it gives you a little more, a little more, uh, finesse, I guess you can say with, with some of those. When it comes down to mashing, uh, you know, what does that look like for you? Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier you have a three vessel system that gives you some flexibility, you know, to, uh, to do raises and lowers. So I assume with your loggers, you're at least step mashing through this in order to kind of attenuate you on a 10 attenuate, yeah, absolutely. um, you know, uh, but, but not full on decocting, I, you know, where are you? Well, I don't have a, I really don't have a, I don't have a, a cereal cooker, so I don't have a second yeah. vessel. So when I do do a decoction, whether it be like for Hefeweizen, like that's, you know, I'll, what I'll basically do is I'll run through all my steps, you know, Frulic, uh, Protein, Beta Alpha, and then I'll move a certain percentage over to the louder, and then I'll boil the rest just so you can get that, that mild yeah. reaction and that beautiful flavor out of it um, and a little bit of color. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. Like, I like I don't decoct the, the Vienna, but um, – and, you know, everyone can argue if, if these, you know, even the German uh, um, malts are whether you really need to step them anymore. I still do it. I think there's some validity to it. Um, so you definitely start with a protein rest. I think that's always going to help. Um, and then uh, that one's just two steps and then mash out. So you go protein, then beta, and then, uh, you know, sack rest there and, and then mash out. Um, some of the others, uh, I'll use a couple more just to give it a little more body to it. You know, um, I'll actually do like the Baltic Porter. I do a protein, beta, and an alpha, um, just to kind of even out those those uh, right. sugar chains. So, yeah. Well, we're uh, we're getting on in time here. Um, one of the questions I love to to finish the podcast off with is, um, you know, what does success look like for you? What's the what's the end game for you? Uh, grains of wrath. Uh, or is Grains of Wrath the end game? I, I you know, I, 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 maybe the script isn't written so far, yeah. you know, but for you, what is, uh, what does success look like? Um, you know, what are you in this for and, uh, and where do you see it going? It's, uh, well, you know, we're about to open a new spot in Portland, um, uh, with a small, small production facility. It's like 15 barrel, uh, it's like four 30 barrel fermenters right now. So that, yeah. that's our next step right now. Um, yeah, I mean, right. As you know, as the, I see the future, it's Grains of Wrath. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh it's my baby to run as far as the, the brewing side of things. You know, I've got really good partners that are, that are, you know, supportive of, of what we're doing and, and doing things the right way. Um, I think success really is, is, you know, I, I don't measure it in barrelage and monetary value. I, I do it. I do it for the love of, the, of what we do here. Um, I'm happy with making a little less money, but having more respect as far as just what we're doing here and how we go about our, our, you know, our business, um, how we go about, you know, uh, um, showing respect to both the, the industry and, and the styles that we make, um, but making it our own. Um, so I'm, 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 I just want to be, you know, I just want to be one of the guys with, you know, the, the brewers that I respect. Um, you know, uh, if we can get a little bigger, great. You know, I, I've never, ever wanted to get, anything above 12 to 15,000 barrels at any point in my career. Um, uh, I think the bigger you get in the fermenters, the flavor profiles change. I've been, you know, it, it changes. And then you start getting those guys that are punching a card every day to go make your beer instead of being, wanting to be part of the brand, part of what the, the culture that you want to build. You know, I want to keep my guys, you know, a small group who love what we're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, pay, you know, pay them well you know, enough to stay around and, and, really kind of just take a lot of pride in everything. You know, Oregon in general as a state has done a really good job with that. And the, you know, I've been hyper impressed with just how many breweries have built great working environments for the people, you know, taking care of their employees and maintaining, you know, helping them live good lives, you know, through that process. It's not something you see 
everywhere you know there's certainly those issues throughout throughout the brewing i mean you know every industry in america you know that's true there are companies that take care of people and there are those that don't um you know but i think in oregon in particular you know there seems to be a a fantastic culture and uh, you know i saw i'm talking to tony at boneyard same kind of thing like they've built a great environment for uh you know for the people and they keep people you know it's a it's an interesting dynamic where you see breweries that keep employees for a long time you can tell they're doing something you can tell they're doing something well yeah um, um coming from the east coast and the midwest to here um i'll give portland this is you know the the brewers and the, the brewing industry the real industry um they they walk the walk um uh um you know everyone looks out for each other uh it's it's a it's a cool culture yeah you know, um, I can't speak for like, you know, California, but I know a lot of those guys are super tight down there. I know those guys. So. Yeah. But yeah. being here, man, it's it's a lot of fun to be a brewer here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, nearly 2000 breweries across the U.S., Canada and Mexico partner with G&D Chillers. Carrie Biohaze from BSG adds that perfect, stable, cloudy appearance. Mountain Rose Herbs offers the highest quality organic herbs, spices and teas. Yakima Valley Hops is your hop source, whether you're brewing five gallons or five barrels. Abe Beverage Equipment is your trusted source for complete brewing and packaging solutions. And Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions are the best way to support this very podcast. Uh, Mike Hunsaker, Grains of Wrath, if people want to find out more about your brewery, where do they find you? Uh, online, that's uh, gowbeer.com. Uh, you know, you can go up Grains of Wrath Brewing, it'll take you right there. Uh, Instagram, same, at gowbeer. Uh yeah, I mean, you know, Facebook is all you know all the same. So um, uh, hopefully, we'll having have a little more uh, presence on, on merchandising and stuff uh, going out soon online. People have been asking quite a bit about it, so we'll uh, we'll get it going. But um, you know, beers found out around here from Seattle to Southern Oregon, best we can, at least right now. And then uh, you know, anytime you can always call. Well, it's fantastic stuff, and uh, you know our blind panel of, uh, of judges can certainly confirm it. Um, delicious, groundbreaking, interesting, and uh, you know, and certainly uh, uh, unique and characterful. Um, so you're doing some fantastic work there, Mike. Thank really you. enjoyed talking to you about brewing, um, and uh, can't wait to drink some more of your beer soon. Awesome. Well, I'll see you soon. Hopefully, uh, I had a couple of collabs uh, right before the COVID fall through that were in Denver. So uh, when I when I make it out there, I'll uh, let's grab some beer and. Come on up and visit me, and uh, we'll drink some beer and drink some bourbon. (laughs) We'll do. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cheers. All right, buddy. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.